Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As an Australian military history nut, I like to think I know at least something about most of our major military actions since the late 1800s. No expert, mind you, but at least an idea of what each one was about, and maybe even an anecdote or two. But I must confess, when it comes to the Malayan emergency, my knowledge amounts to a vague understanding that there was such a thing, and that Australians were involved. I really know bugger all about it, despite my former father-in-law being on one of our naval vessels involved at the time. So, what better opportunity to fill in that piece of my history puzzle for myself than to try and explain to you what it was all about. So here we go, the Malayan Emergency. Welcome to the Australian Military History Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Australian servicemen and women covering events, units and personalities from the Boer War through to the modern day. G'day everyone, welcome back. Just a quick note to start with, I do that quite often don't I? Anyway, this is the last episode for 2020 a year I'm sure many people would prefer to forget. But for me, it's been a great year in many aspects, not the least of which, it's the year I launched this podcast, and I've watched it grow well beyond any expectations I ever had. October was our first month where we had more than 1,000 downloads in a month. I never thought that would happen. So I'd just like to take this opportunity to say thank you, one and all, for investing your time in listening to my ramblings every three weeks. Rest assured, we will be back, large as life and twice as ugly, in 2021. We've got some great episodes coming up, and we're looking at adding a few things throughout the year. But I'll tell you all about that next year. First episode for 2021 will be published on the 20th of January, to give everyone, including me, a chance to focus on the really important things in life, family and friends. But until then, on with my last rambling for 2020. The first thing to clear up is the name of this event. From the British Commonwealth perspective, it has always been the Malayan Emergency. But from the other perspective, it is known as the Anti-British National Liberation War. That, in itself, should give an idea of some of the main issues to be resolved. But to get a full understanding of what the situation was in 1948, we need to go back further, all the way back to pre-World War II Malaya. The Malayan economy at that stage was focused primarily around mining and rubber. The British had control of the Malayan Peninsula since the late 18th century and as they were wont to do, they taxed the bejesus out of the locals. Over the years, this led many Malayan people into poverty. Then, over the 1920s and 1930s, Chinese migrant workers started working in the tin mines and other resource areas and created more tension as the Chinese were replacing Malays in those lucrative industries. The Malays were relegated to the less lucrative rubber trade. Then along came World War II, and the Japanese very quickly seized the entirety of the peninsula and Singapore Island. With the Japanese occupation, all international trade from the mines and rubber plantations ground to a halt, with only Japanese needs being met. The rubber industry essentially collapsed, and mining wound down as equipment wore out and wasn't replaced. As well as the equipment breaking down, the people themselves began to focus their efforts on simple survival, and so many skills were lost. It didn't bode well for a post-war Malaya. With the Japanese out, 
the social and economic problems caused by the occupation meant that Malaya was a mess. Unemployment, poverty, inflation all combined to make life for your average citizen pretty tough. This was also the era where communism was attempting to spread across Asia and the Malayan Communist Party, the MCP, saw an opportunity to show how Western capitalism was failing the Malayan people. The MCP started stirring up trouble, organising strikes, which were dealt with pretty harshly, which then resulted in more strikes, etc, etc, as the story goes on. The British also attempted to form the Malayan Union, whereby all citizens, be they of Malay, Chinese or Indian origin, would all be equal under the law. Strangely enough, Indigenous Malays weren't particularly happy about this, again seeing their land being parcelled out to non-Malays by an overseas entity. So the British reneged on the Malay Union, which upset the Chinese, who saw it as a betrayal by the Britain, considering the Chinese had taken on most of the fighting to rid Malaya of the Japanese. All in all, it was basically a basket case all round. The already fraught situation took a nosedive to rock bottom on the 16th of June 1948. Elfville Estate was a British-owned rubber plantation outside the town of Sangay Siput in the Perak region towards the northeast of the peninsula. At 8.30am, plantation managers Arthur Walker, John Allison and an assistant, Ian Christian, were working away in the office when three Chinese men casually walked into the office, said good morning to Walker and then promptly shot the three Britons. A simultaneous attack was planned for a neighbouring plantation. However, the plantation manager's vehicle had broken down during his morning inspection and so he wasn't in the office when the other group of Chinese paid him a visit. Seeing the office unattended, they left. In response, two days later the British administrators enacted emergency measures in the region and then later extended those measures to include the entire country. The MCP was outlawed and police were given authority to arrest MCP members or anyone suspected of providing assistance to the communists. Many MCP members headed for the hills, so to speak, and under the leadership of Chin Peng, the Secretary-General of the now outlawed MCP, formed the Malayan People's Liberation Army, the MPLA. It's just occurred to me uh, where I've heard the MPLA before. The Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK, mentions them in the line, Is this the MPLA? Is this the UDA? Is this the IRA? I thought it was the UK. Anyway, enough digression. Many of the MPLA members were veterans of the fighting which expelled the Japanese and so were well experienced in the art of insurgency and guerrilla fighting in the Malay jungles. The scene was set for the first real showdown between Western capitalism versus Eastern communism in Asia. So with that quick description of events leading up to the emergency, which officially ran from 1948 to 1960, but in reality continued until 1989, out of the way, let's bring our focus back to what this podcast is all about, the Australian involvement. Australia committed Army, Navy and Air Force units to the emergency, which lasted 13 years, between 1950 and 1963. It was the longest continuous military commitment in Australia's history at the time. This record lasted until our involvement in Afghanistan commenced in 2001. The RAAF was first to arrive. Well, it's first time for everything, am I right, eh, fellow soldiers? Eh? Eh? Oh, sorry. Now back to being professional. Number 38 Squadron arrived in 1950 with its Dakota transport aircraft and one squadron rocked in with half a dozen Lincoln bombers. The Dakotas were employed with cargo transport and troop movement. They flew British paratroopers to their allotted drop zones, mainly in the Perak area, and took part in that old mid-20th century favourite, the dropping of propaganda pamphlets. 
On the topic of pamphlets, they were dropped all over the joint during World War II, Malaya, Korea, Vietnam. But is there any evidence to suggest they made any difference? Has anyone ever actually picked up one of these things, read it, and thought to themselves, you know what, they're right. This random piece of paper prepared and dropped by my enemy has made me completely rethink my ideological stance. How foolish I was to take up arms in defence of that stance. I'll pack up and go home now. You reckon that ever happened? Nah, neither do I. But back to the narrative. The Lincolns flew strategic bombing missions in direct support of British and Commonwealth troops and local police units once the operation on the ground settled into something of a routine. One such operation was codenamed Operation Termite, a large-scale operation in July 1954 which involved dropping 200 British paratroopers into the jungle and bombing known communist camps. In the final wash-up, only 13 communists were confirmed killed. However, 181 camps had been destroyed, which, as you can imagine, would have put a fair dent in the capabilities. It wasn't until October 1955 that Australian boots started crunching the ground in Malaya with the arrival of the 2nd Battalion of the Royal Australian Regiment, 2RAR, forming part of the 28th Commonwealth Brigade. By this stage, the Communists had largely been contained and all that was left to do was stamp out the few pockets still remaining and to maintain a presence in the area. This actually proved to be more difficult and time-consuming than first thought. Up to this point, the Commonwealth tactics had been your standard large units with all available support possible bludgeoning a given area. But with the lack of a real front line, a highly mobile enemy and tight restrictive jungle, this approach was proving less and less effective. A different approach was needed. A system of intensive patrolling, observation, ambushing and maintaining perimeter guards around the villages was developed. The intent was to deny the insurgents secure bases from which to operate and to limit freedom of movement throughout the jungle. It had limited success. For starters, contacts were few and far between. There was a lot of jungle and only a small number of troops to patrol it. But when there were contacts, the result wasn't always in the Australians' favour. On one occasion, on the 25th of June 1956, a platoon ambushed an insurgent patrol and although two insurgents were killed, two RAR lost three but they were learning lessons which would stand the Australian Army in good stead in a later war. In October 1957, 2RAR was replaced by 3RAR. After a few weeks jungle training and familiarising themselves with the lay of the land, 3RAR began its activities. The prolonged pressure applied to the Communists by the British and Commonwealth forces and the Malay police was starting to bear fruit, and 3RAR were able to force the insurgents further into the jungles. This made it increasingly difficult for the insurgents to access food and ammunition and to communicate effectively to put up a solid defence. In April 1959, the Perak region was declared free from communist influence. 3RAR left the scene in October 1959 and was replaced by 1RAR. 1RAR patrolled the border area between Malaya and Thailand extensively throughout their stay, however made no contact with the enemy. It was suspected that the communists were operating from bases over the border in Thailand. However, as they were forbidden from crossing the border, they could do little to intervene. Throughout 1959 and into 1960, the situation stabilised and on the 31st of July 1960, the Malayan government declared the emergency over. One RAR remained in Malaya until October 1961, keeping an eye on things and generally waiting to see if the communists would attempt to reassert themselves. Two RAR took over, operating in the Perlis and the Kedar regions, until they returned to Australia in August 1963. Obviously, it wasn't only the Air Force and Army involved throughout the emergency. The Navy also did its bit. 
The destroyers, Warramunga and Arunta, lobbed in 1955 and began the RAN's involvement. Over the next 15 years, the aircraft carriers, yes, we used to have some, Melbourne and Sydney, as well as the destroyers, Anzac, Quadrant, Queensborough, Quiberon, Quick Match, Tobruk, Vampire, Vendetta and Voyager all put in an appearance and did what they could. It has to be said though, for an operation primarily fought in jungle terrain, there wasn't much the Navy could do as far as direct support is concerned. However, the destroyers did, on occasion, fire on communist positions along the coast. Engineers from the RAAF and Army built a runway for the use by the Air Force at what became known as the Butterworth Air Base. In 1973, the Australian Army Infantry Company was formed, called Rifle Company Butterworth, an imaginative title, eh? The company was deployed to Butterworth to act as a base protection and a quick reaction force when the communist insurgency had another crack at things. In 1988, Butterworth was handed over to the Royal Malaysian Air Force and the insurgency was officially declared over in 1989. However, as was a pretty handy base for these kinds of things, Australian soldiers maintained a presence at Butterworth to provide diggers with jungle warfare training. In total, 39 Australians died over the entirety of our involvement in Malaya although only 15 died in the conduct of operations. A further 27 were wounded. In the big scheme of things, it was a fairly small contribution to a bit of a minor incident, although for the people of Malaya it was obviously a vital part of their history. But from a military point of view, the lessons learned from the Malayan emergency stood the Australian Army in good stead for their future involvement in Vietnam. Their Malayan experience showed the effectiveness of smaller, platoon-sized operations and it honed their jungle fighting knowledge first learned in the jungles of New Guinea. As a result, it could be argued that our involvement in Malaya probably reduced our casualties in Vietnam, particularly in the early stages of the war. Remember that Major Harry Smith, the commander on the ground during the Battle of Long Tan, served with the 2nd Battalion in Malaya. As I said at the start, Malaya was the longest-running conflict involving Australian troops until Afghanistan. The tactics and strategies developed over that time set in place the way the Australian Army operated for much of the remainder of the 20th century. I can certainly see parallels between what I've read about our Malayan operations and what I was taught as a young soldier in the early 90s. I always assumed those tactics were learned in Vietnam. It turns out they go back further than that. A pretty good legacy for a largely forgotten conflict. So that's it for 2020. Enjoy the festive season but be safe. If you're on the roads visiting family, remember it's better to show up late than not at all. Take it easy, stay off the booze if you're driving, and we'll see you all back here 20th of January 2021. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If so, feel free to leave a comment on the website at australianmilitaryhistorypodcast.com or on Instagram under AMH Podcast or on Facebook. Also, apparently leaving a review on iTunes helps more people to find the podcast, so it would be very much appreciated if you can head over to iTunes and leave a review and a comment so that more people can learn about the amazing history of Australia at Arms. And remember, if there's any aspect of our military history which you would like to hear about, drop me a line at amhp.media at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Australian Military History Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.